Welcome to Living Lit, where conversations spark inspiration to live in truth. Journey together with us to explore what it means to live a liturgical life and walk in the truth of our faith. Let's instill a culture in our hearts, homes, families, and world, living a life cooperating with and walking alongside our Lord. I'm Robin Brueggemann. Let's be a light, share the light, shine the light, and live lit. In the studio today, I have Dr. Chris Bergwald with me, and him and I get to spend some time together, um, Oh, aside from this show, doing Ignition, his show, which is a podcast that is on the radio and on YouTube, where he um, talks about all topics, faith, Catholic, and answers people's questions. And I have the um, pleasure of knowing Chris outside of work, kind of. And um, you are such a blessing. I tell anybody I meet out and about when we're talking about Ignition, your show, um, what a blessing you are because you truly want to help people grow in their faith. You have so much knowledge. You are such a gift to our diocese and seriously to all that know you. And so I am blessed that I get a text you every once in my life. A question. <laughs> like, can you answer this for me? Or, you know, say with, you know, like a spike, my husband and I are talking. Um, I'm going to talk with Chris. Quick, shoot you a text. But I just really want people to know the resource that you are to the diocese, that you are so always happy to answer people's Absolutely. questions, yep. and you're always looking for topics to talk on, too. So today, you're joining me, and we're going to talk about the Bible. So um, I grew up being um, having the question, do Catholics really read the Bible? So I think some Catholics get asked that question. So if you're not Catholic, you might actually wonder, do they read the Bible? And how much of what Catholics do is actually scriptural based. Oh, yeah. And um, so, yeah, I just think this would be a great topic for us to kind of tackle. So welcome to the show, Dr. Bergwald. Thank you for all the kind of things you said about me, Robin. It's great to finally be on Living Lit. I mean, you've been doing this for like 10 years and I finally get the invitation. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> You're at the bottom of the list. <laughs> wow. Just kidding. No, I'm so um, happy to have you. Okay, in here, so thank you. So tell a little bit about yourself if someone does not know who Dr. Burkle is. So um, as I did, we, we recently recorded an episode of Ignition where I went backwards. We yes. do that again. Okay. So we should always talk about who we are before we talk about what we do. But in our culture, we tend to start with, you know, we, so what do you do? What do you do? That's true. Uh, so I'm actually going to do it. Who are you? Wait a it's a very personal question, Robin. <laughs> I'm comfortable telling you what I do, but who am I? Um, so what I do, I'm the director of discipleship formation for the diocese. Mm-hmm. Uh, been in that role since the fall of two thousand September first, two thousand and two, is when my employment with the diocese of Falls began. Falls began. Uh, Jermaine and I moved here from Ohio. She's from Ohio. I, so Jermaine's my wife, to be clear, uh, not my <laughs> dog or cats. Um, uh, I first lived in Minnesota. Jermaine's from Ohio. We met at Franciscan University, Steubenville. Um, we both went to college there. Uh, and we've been married, as we're recording, we've been married for almost, it'll be 25 years this summer, mm-hmm. summer of 2024. Um, yes. Five kids. Uh, Elena is um, almost 20. Carl and Noel are high school seniors, the twins. Alexi is a freshman right now. And Mercedes is a sixth grader right now. So four girls and a boy. Carl is blessed among women. Yes, he sure is. Yes, he's yeah. four sisters. She's like your mini-me. A little yes. bit. He looks just like you. He is, yeah, poor guy. No, that's fun. 
fun. So um, I'm just so thankful to have you here. And um, I learned from you in so many ways as like just knowing you having in my life, but then um, you have me on your show from yep. time to time where I get to listen and observe and take- You, you are a radio. Yeah. It's not from time to time. I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, we have fun, don't we? Yeah, I'm a regular co-host with you, but I um, I learned so much. But then I'm also in your class right now. So you have, where the diocese has School of Missionary Discipleship, and it's a fantastic program that I would encourage people to look into um, if you want to learn more about your faith um, through prayer, Bible, and now we're in the catechism. That's right. So it's kind of funny that you're my teacher, too. How about that? That's <laughs> very fun. So let's chat about the Bible. Yeah. So I think we should start by saying that... Other denominations have less books in their Bible mm. than Catholics do. So as Catholics, we have 73 books yep. in our Bible. That's very good. Did you, you didn't even look at your notes to get that. Do you, you want to know how I know that? Um, Is it written over there? No, Simeon? it's not. Oh. <laughs> no, just kidding. No, I know that because of Spike's brother who was in oh, yes. our accident and killed years ago. Yep. And 73 was his favorite number. That's right. And he had several reasons for loving the number 73. And one of them was that there's 73 books in the Bible. So I remember that. And my kids remember that, that there are 73 books in the Bible. So why do why does the Catholic Bible, so Chris brought his little Bible, big Bible in. Big Bible. Big Bible. Um, that Catholics have 73 books and other denominations have less. Why is that? Yeah. So um, 73 books... Do you remember the division between the New Testament? Sorry, this is your show. Oh, the numbers. Can I ask you questions? Well, it depends if I'll know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, you're asking like between New Old yeah, and New Testament? Yeah, I do yeah. not remember that breakdown. 46 and 27. Okay. So 46, 46 in the Old Testament, Testament, 27 in the New. Okay. So there are differences in number of books uh, between Catholics and not just Protestant Christians. So I think this is one okay. thing that many That's people true. don't. So the Eastern, Eastern Christians, Eastern Orthodox and... So Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, um, they, their Bibles are like ours. They have, uh, by and large, the same books okay. that, that we do. Um, 73. So the difference is specifically between so Catholics and Orthodox and essentially all Protestant traditions, okay. all Protestant Christian communities. Um, and the difference is only in the Old Testament. So our New Testaments okay. both have 27 documents. Okay. 727 documents okay. from Matthew to Revelation. We have the same same books, same documents in the New Testament. The difference is just in the Old Testament. We have 46 books. They have 39. Wow. So yeah, the way the, as you were, and I were talking about talking about this, the way you put it, which is how you put it just now, but it does. It's the way that a lot of, like Protestants <laughs> Protestants ask, like, how come you guys add books to the Bible? Well, uh, how come you guys have more books to the Bible? Well, I mean. With due respect, in fact, it's like, well, how come you remove books from the Bible? Right. Why, why do your books have few? Why do your Bibles have fewer books mm-hmm. than ours? Now, you don't. You, there's no. We don't. No need yeah. that in any term. Yeah, no, it's, we, it's, no one feeling bad. Or, exactly nope. right. So, how did that come about, though? So, the the reason that we, if you look historically at the books, so before the Protestant Reformation. So before the 16th century, um, as Christians from the very beginning were living out our faith. So after Jesus um, lives, dies, rises from the dead, ascends into heaven, sends the Holy Spirit of Pentecost, and the apostles and the other disciples start 
spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, around the known world. I mean, they, I mean, you went through, we, we talked about this in uh, School Missionary Discipleship um, as we, last year, the, the way the apostles went, at, like, they took Jesus' words seriously. Paul wanted to, some people think he actually got to, I don't think he did, he wanted to get to Spain. St. Thomas got, seemed to get as far as India, maybe even into what we know as China. Uh, many apostles went down into Africa. Others went into Europe. So they were going to the ends of the earth as best as they could to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and they were, so as they went, of course, they had what we think of as the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. Uh, and then they were starting to write. So Paul's letters were, he was writing his letters to the different churches. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are writing their gospels. So by the time we get to the year 100, there are these documents that are now in circulation, um, which the church comes to by the power of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Spirit, comes to discern that these are um, not just true, but they're uniquely inspired by God. Because there are a lot of, we have a lot of early church documents, even from the first century, that are true. There's a document called the Didache, the teaching of the 12 apostles. The Didache is completely orthodox. It's completely true, but but the church has never regarded it as inspired. Hmm. Um, there's a, a letter from one of the early popes, the first letter of St. Clement, um, which might be older than the book, of, that might be older than John's gospel, maybe. But it's not considered inspired, even though it's true doctrinally, it's not inspired. So we have these inspired, what we call inspired um, books, letters, and so on. And the early centuries of the church, the church, the church started to collect them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, in so the the Bible is a collect. It's a library. It's a mini library. Yeah. It's a collection of seventy three different books. Mm-hmm put under one or within one cover, right. so to speak. So the church started collecting them. And from the the very beginning, as far, as far as we can tell, when you look at how the early Christians are quoting from the Bible, the edition that they're quoting from, which was a Greek translation, that Greek translation called the Septuagint had all 46 books of the Old Testament, or of the Old Testament that our Bibles have in them. Mm-hmm. So the version of the Bible that the early Christians were using is in a different language, the version that we as Catholics and that Eastern Christians also use. Mm -hmm. So why do Protestant Bibles have a different number of books in the Old Testament? Well, Luther, this goes to the heart of the Reformation, that Martin Luther, as the Reformation starts and gets underway, and um, many people don't know, but you do because of School of Missionary Discipleship, that Luther did not set out to like start a new church. Mm-hmm. Luther's initial impetus or impulse was not to reject the Pope and the Catholic Church. He got there, unfortunately, but that's not where he that's not where he started. But as he kind of got going down that path, he he started to get pretty. Uh, he started to remove certain books in the Old Testament. Uh, he even was pretty doubtful about some books of the New Testament, but he left them and like. Uh, he called famously, and, and Lutherans and other Protestants know this. Um, it's not like some secret that they try to keep from anybody. Um, he called the letter of St. James an epistle or a letter of straw. Like he just did not, it had, that's how much of value it had. Yeah. This is the word of God. Yeah. Uh, Brother Martin, um, why, why would you say such a, well, because he didn't like some of its theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he, act, he he treated certain books of the Old Testament even worse, 
where he removed them from his translation or his edition of the Bible. So um, really, if, if you look at the 2,000 years of Christian church history, um, some Christ, most Christians, most of the time, and all Christians, all uh, for most of that time, if that makes sense, um, had a Bible with 46 books in the Old Testament. It was really only with the Protestant Reformation that you get an, a chunk of Christians who no, who no longer have all 46 books of the Old Testament. Which is really sad because those books are really good. Like, so do you know off the top of your head when, which ones are? Like, uh, you know, Sirach is one of them, and that's because... Sirach, um, First and Second Maccabees, and then a lot of his parts of some of the different okay. parts of Daniel and so on. Mm-hmm. Remember, Judas is Judas. Judith might be one of them. There, there's a variety. But they're really good. Like, yeah. especially like as far as like wisdom, right? Yep. It's like, yep. um, just really good books that I have just loved reading. And it makes me sad that they're not in all right. Bibles. Right. Um, so when we first got married, of course, I wasn't raised Catholic. And so my Bible didn't have all the books. Yep. And then I married into the Catholic faith. And, um, so that's, too, just been different, you know, getting used to, like, oh, there's more, you know, yeah. so it's so great. But um, so thank you for um, separating that out and helping us to understand the difference. So I do think it's important then, so for Catholic families or Catholic individuals, then to make sure if they have a Bible in their house that it is a Catholic yeah. Bible. Yeah. Um, and many Just so people, it's complete. So just to be so clear here. Yes. Yeah. Because these are those seven yeah. texts are the inspired word of God. Don't you want to have all of the inspired yes. word of God in your Bible? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, so making sure that you have the 73 books if you're Bible shopping um, to check that out. So another common thing I think or misconception that um, I have some of when I was raised with is that um, Mass, is it biblical? And what are we hearing at Mass? So like... Um, do Catholics, okay, what's a quote I asked you? The Bible is the most cited source Catholics use, was a quote I just heard. True or false? Okay, so I... <laughs> so I asked you this, like, to yeah. get you thinking about it beforehand, um, but... When, I, I mean, the, the most cited, cited source that Catholics use, I think it... Like I mean, how, how to use it. In, in what yeah. set, Is it the most cited source in the the documents of the church? Yes. Think it as a whole? Absolutely. So... Uh, I don't have my copy of the cate- my copy of the catechism is in Which a different room. We just room. had. <laughs> we just had it. Um, the ca- in the catechism of the church that came out in the early nineties, the by far the most cited source in the catechism of the church is the Holy Bible. Yeah. Um, if you take the church's teachings as a whole, certainly you can look at particular documents that might be addressing a specific issue that there it's citing all sorts of things, other church documents, saints, and so on. But if you take take church teaching as a whole, apart from the Bible itself. Other church documents cite the Bible more than anything else. The reason I was hemming and hawing is, I mean, well, the individ- is, is the Bible the most cited source by individual Catholics? Yeah. Probably. Depends on the Catholic. <laughs> Depends on the Catholic. Some yes, others not so much. Yeah. 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 Okay. But yeah, for, for the church's yeah. teach, in, in the church's yeah. teaching, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's so good to know that our Catholic faith, faith, faith too, faith is so much based on scripture really that you can trace things back. Um, so I just and I, I I want to take that even deeper if, okay, if, if I may please. if I may yeah, yeah. because I think because we live frankly because we live in a culture a country that was at its origins more Protestant than Catholic we we sort of 
have some operating assumptions that actually like so it's it's not like there's the bible and then there's protestants catholics and orthodox and all these other christians mm-hmm. and, and i say this with all due respect and other people would but this is our document like it's our it, it's a gift from the lord to his family the church in its full list we would say that's the catholic church so it's not like there's the bible and then there's the church like separate no right. the bible is the word of god which dwells within the heart of the church you know and there's like a there's a um there's a different feel to because sometimes we deal with the bible as as if it's separate from the church mm-hmm. um but you can you can feel the difference like they're, they're just there's a certain way where you where you deeply grasp the relationship between the bible and the church it's not some extrinsic thing um no it's it's in the heart of the church does that make sense absolutely so i i, I just think it's important just to like it's not like we will uh it's not like the church on occasion consults scripture no, the, the, the church lives and breathes, yes. lives and breathes the Holy Bible precisely absolutely. because it is the Word of God. Yes, absolutely. So well said. Yes. So, so just to, uh, to question, can I run with what you were, yeah. you, you raised certain things? Um, so first and foremost, you know, a lot of people ask, are Catholic, do Catholics read the Bible? Well, again, depends on the Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. Are Catholics encouraged to read the Bible? Yes. Has the church always encouraged Catholics who could read to read the Bible? Yes. Oh, I thought you were going to make me say no. There wasn't so much. Not that you said no, but maybe they just didn't say, "Hey, folks." So there's some things. Your Bible at home. There's there's some. So there were times when the church, frankly, in a sense, did discourage the reading of certain Bibles because there were bad translations. Oh, interesting. But if you go back to like so, people who. Part of part of what we forget too is, for the majority of Christian history, the majority of most people were illiterate. The yeah. majority of the time, most people mm-hmm. were illiterate. They couldn't read. Mm-hmm. The people who could read Greek or Hebrew or Latin, for Latin translations, the church never said, "Oh no, you need don't, don't, don't read this." That's, that's, that's no, if you're able to read, yeah. by all means, please do read. Yeah. Um, now, there were, you know, when we got into the more modern era, when the printing press got widespread, when we had more, tr- when we just had more copies of the Bible, because they weren't all handwritten as they used to have to be, mm-hmm. had copied. When we got more copies of the Bible, there are some bad translations where th- bad theology was inserted into translation. And that's where the church says, hold on. It's so don't read the Bible, not because we don't want to read the Bible. It's because the copy of the Bible, the translation of that Bible you have is a bad translation. Huh. And we don't want you to be led astray by the true teaching of Jesus Christ as it's found in the Bible by people, unfortunately, who are making bad translations or have an agenda in their translation. So that can't happen today, can it? Uh, can it? Well, Bibles we get today are all fine. Yeah, I would say. I mean, you so know. good translation. Um, Maybe you should recommend what translations. Yeah. there are different translations. There are tra- different translations, and I so I, I would so um, the New American Bible is the mm-hmm. is the translation that you you'll hear when you go to mass. Okay. So we'll talk more about at the mass. Yep. How you, yep. Bible. 
Um, that's the transition you'll hear at the Mass. But there are other Catholic translations. Uh, so my probably my favorite translation is the the let me get this RSV two C the Revised Standard Version Second Catholic Edition. Okay. RSV two or Second C E. The, okay. the RSV the Revised Standard Version Second Catholic Edition. Here. Okay. Well, I was just going to say, I think that's usually in the, right here. So if someone has a Bible at home and you flip into, or if you're shopping for one, the title flip page, into typically. the title page and it's going to tell you, like this one's revised standard version, second Catholic edition, edition yes, the tongue twister that Chris was trying to say. Yes. So um, that's where people can find that. There's that. Yeah. There's the ESV CE, the English standard version, Catholic edition. That's a great translation. Okay. Um, there's the... New Jerusalem Bible, the NJB, that's a Catholic translation. It's a good translation. There's a new translation, which was being done at the Augustine Institute based out of Denver. Um, I think it's called the Catholic Standard Version, CSV. Has it been released? Or uh, they're doing a book right at a time. So okay. I think Matthew is out. I think Mark might be out now. So they're starting with the Gospels uh, in terms of what they're releasing, at least. So what is the difference? Um, I think we should touch on that. Like, is it just easier to understand um, or like what, what makes these versions different or is these oh. versions that you're listing different from Some other, other, other versions? Version. So there, there are a lot of, I would say there's a lot of other trends. So RSV 2CE, the Revised Standard Version was originally a Protestant translation. So the Catholic edition, first of all, has all the books of the Bible right. and there might be, to be honest, I don't even, I don't know if there's any substantial, like in terms of theo- theological, um, differences in translation between the the Catholic edition of the RSV and other editions of the RSV. Um, so the RSV, I mean, I, I consult a lot of tra- translations regardless of who made them just to get a sense. We went into trouble these days, frankly, are more of like um, loose translations or paraphrase translations. Yeah, yeah. Those ones, because they're, they're, they're meant to be a paraphrase or a modern English translation, they can get... That's what they're not even trying to be very literal in the translation. They're trying to be a bit more of a paraphrase. Yeah. Well, you, you want to, I think it's important to have a literal translation as sort of your primary translation. And then you can look at other less literal translations mm-hmm. to get a sense. As you get, they can change the meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Words. It can give a different meaning. Yeah. 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 A paraphrase. So um, there's a, there's a, there's a saying, um, it's better. I think it's an Italian saying. I don't remember the Italian version, but basically, every translator is a traitor. Every translator is a traitor because when you're translating from one language to the, you're kind of, you, you have to insert a little bit of your. You're, you're making a decision of how I'm, how what what English. So for me, what English word am I going to use for this? Kind of means the same thing. Yes. And I'm making a choice there. No, in some cases it's very clear and obvious. Every translation uses the same. But others, I'm making a judgment call. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in a sense, I'm a traitor because I'm I'm rendering it my way. So I'm here a little bit. My... my, um, one of my professors in graduate school uh, in theology in Rome, a Dominican friar, who was a Protestant, he, sorry, he was a, he was a convert from Judaism, and his his Jewish family cut him off, cut him off when he became a Catholic, and eventually a Dominican priest. God bless him, Father Albert Paretsky. Uh But Father Paretsky, yeah, I asked Father Paretsky what's Father, what's what's the best translation of the Bible? What do you recommend? Your own. So his advice was learn Hebrew, 
and Greek and wow. just read the original. Wow. Okay, thanks, Father. Okay, well, that's, that's something to think about. Yeah, that's something to think about. <laughs> okay, so as Catholics, so we are so encouraged to read the Bible yep. in our homes, yep. um, and we can do that through the Bible. There are apps. There's, I mean, there's so many ways you can get Scripture, the yep. Word of God, and bring it into your own life. Um, but what I find is so beautiful is that our church, in all of its beauty, when we go to Mass, yep. we, especially on a weekend, we get a reading from Scripture from the Old Testament. We get a psalm or a responsorial. We get a New Testament reading and then one of the gospel readings yep. on weekends. Yep. You go during the week, it's going to be just um, Old Testament, responsorial, gospel, Ex- with excluding feast days. And Yeah, it may not be Old Testament. Though. It could be, a, could be a New Testament. Oh, it can be. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But basically just like one reading, one responsorial. So anyways, the point being that anytime you go to Mass, you are getting so much scripture, yep. which I absolutely love. So not only are you hearing scripture being proclaimed, right? The word of God being proclaimed at church. You can hear it. You can be reading along. But our mass is so scriptural too. Just everything about it. So the, so yes. So not, so as you said, when you go to mass, the, 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 the readings, what the, the person up there, whether it be the lector or the priest or deacon is reading is the Bible as you just walked through. But beyond that, the prayers of the, the, the actual, the, the, so me, I think Catholics realize this, you know, Father's reading out of a book all the time at Mass. Yeah. Yes, because the prayers of the Mass are set forth. He can't just ad lib it. How many is the time for Father to ad lib and, you know, say whatever he wants to say? But otherwise, he is... He's praying the prayers that have been set forth by the Lord's church um, for the mass. And those are set up, and they are absolutely suffused with sacred scripture. So in addition to the readings, we also have the antiphons. Um, There's the entrance antiphon, and there's the communion antiphon. Um, There's the antiphon before the gospel is proclaimed. So those are all scripture. scripture. But then even like if if you read... Um, like the Eucharistic prayers or the prefaces for the Eucharistic prayers or the opening prayer, the collect at mass, all those different prayers. And if you read that, and if, if you, if you've really prayed with, and you know, the Bible really well, and this happens to people who do pray with and know the Bible really well. They, oh, oh, this, this illusion or this phrase, like, um, I think it's the second Eucharistic prayer talks about the dewfall. Let the scriptural image for the Holy Spirit descending like the dew, or the Word of God descending like the dew. So there's all these little little allusions or, or images, um, turns of phrase that we find in the prayers of the Mass that are from the Bible. It, it's not cited. I mean, Father's not stopping all the time. And you'll find this referenced yeah. or alluded to. If he was doing that, he'd be stopping the whole, throughout the entire Mass. It would be a very <laughs> long mess. So it's it's not just the readings that are proclaimed; it's the yeah. prayer, it's the rest of the mass. So glad you're praying that as well. Yeah, which is so beautiful. But the other thing, so this is the um, don't get me started. Don't even get me started. Um, the natural. So think about habitat, right? So um, what's the natural habitat for you know, like uh, Alexi, one of my kids, uh, has a really. You know, like Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom, remember? And here we are in the Serengeti, watching the lion and the stalking the gazelle. Um, <laughs> Alexi does a really good impersonation. 
And there we see the the parent in the natural habitat. Look, <laughs> folks, he's about to go wild on his children. She does a great. Uh, she she just does that so well. You're doing pretty. Um, th- I, I I've learned from her. She's a genius. Um, she's a master at that. The Bible has a natural habitat, and I think if you ask me, Bill, what's the natural habitat of the Bible? Well, they might say they might say. Um, it's, 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 it's in a Bible study where we're studying there. Or they might say it's when I'm, you know, praying with it and reading it in my comfy, cozy chair at home. Um, or it's maybe, um, when I'm taking a class in college on it, those are all, those are all great, great, but that's not the natural habitat of the Bible. The natural habitat of the Bible, Robin Bruggeman is the liturgy. The place where the Bible is most at home is in the liturgy. And it's always been that way. Not just for Christians, but in the Old Testament with the Old Covenant for the Jewish people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked earlier about you know how, how the, like the, the New Testament was being written and then they started collecting it and what belongs and what doesn't belong. Well, Paul, Paul, when Paul wrote his letters to Corinth, the, the church in Corinth to the Corinthians, they weren't. So, so first of all, he didn't send a copy to everybody, every Christian in Corinth. He sent one copy of the letter, um, and it was not read in the town square of Corinth. It was read when the Christians were gathered together at the mass. Oh my gosh, that is so cool! Like we, we just really. So how do you cool. think the Corinthians knew about this? It wasn't like. Oh, honey, we got another letter from Paul today. Oh, he's uh, no. It was brothers and sisters. We we've, we've received a letter from Paul. Let's pro- let let's let me read it to you because guess what? You can't read because most people again couldn't read. Right, right. And then there was just the one copy. But there was, a, there was the one copy. Yeah. So they went and they cherished it, and they would make copies, and that's how they got distributed throughout the the church, like like from one church to another mm-hmm. kind of church because people make copies like, oh my gosh, Paul sent this letter. You got to so read this. Good. Oh my gosh, yeah. brothers and sisters, listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Oh, there's another letter they wrote to the Corinthians. That's the second letter to the Corinthians. And pretty quickly over time at Mass, here, let's, we, let's this week we have a reading from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. We just hear that at Mass today, but we never stop to think about, oh, but it wasn't just, that's not just the New Covenant, the New Testament era. It's the Old Testament as well. So, Robin, according to the Bible itself, when was the first time the Bible was written down? So this is a confusing question. You're asking when was the first time the Bible was written down in its entirety? No, no. Or what do you mean? When, when we read the Bible, when do we first find somebody talking about when we first read, oh, and so-and-so wrote, fill in the blank. I can't really say more without giving it. Well, no, I can say it. I don't, I don't think I'll give it away. Astute. People. Uh, the book of the law was first written by somebody, and, we're, and we read about it in here. Are you asking me to somebody? Are the What? Yeah, okay. Yeah, just don't do this to me on Sorry. my show. I won't do this to you on your show. <laughs> you get a... You get a um, put me in awkward spots on in your show. Exodus <laughs> chapter 20. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, great. I probably learned this last year in your class or something. I don't know if you I did. I remember. Okay, good. So I'm like sweating here thinking, oh, gosh. I probably learned this last year. And like, oh. Make up! <laughs> you got to, you got to. She's, she's, there's glistening, you know, on the. Uh, You're making me sweat. 
Um, you quick answer the question. I'll answer. No, this is not. No, we, does it have to be quick? This is. Know. This is. The first, the first time we read about somebody writing the book of the, Moses, Moses I, is I, traditionally I considered Moses. the book, the author of the Pentateuch, the first five books yep. of the Bible, which is the book of the law. Correct. And the first time we read about anything about Moses setting down the words of the book of the law are in the context of the liturgy of Exodus chapter 24, where the Lord establishes a covenant between himself and the people with Moses as the mediator. The point is, it's in the context of the of the old covenant liturgy that Moses, for the first first time, writes down some portion of the Bible according to the Bible. The Bible, the liturgy, is the natural habit of it because it's in the liturgy that the Bible happens. Yes. It's at the liturgy that the Bible happens. When I study the Bible at home, I learn all sorts of amazing things. When I go to mass and the in addition to the Bible being proclaimed, the Bible is happening. Yeah. Everything between these two covers happens at Mass. And that. that does not happen when I read it on my own at home. Jen, do you know what? That's totally lit. It's totally lit. It's totally living liturgically. Yes, yeah, so lit being living in truth, but also living liturgical. And so that ties that so well together. That the Bible, sacred scripture, the word of God, is such a foundation for us in our life to just live in truth, but also to live liturgical. Amen. And so by going to a liturgy to mass, it's we get so much scripture. It's not It's not just read, it's happening. It is happening. That's a great, great way to put it. Chris, this has been great. This has gone fast, hasn't it? It has gone really fast. Okay, I had yeah. like another half hour or something. You didn't tell me how long. Anyways. We'll have you back another time. Sounds good. We may, because I think we could talk more on the Bible, but there's lots more you can teach us. So, Dr. Bergwald, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Ellie. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to like, subscribe, and share Living Lit, and reach out with topics you'd like tackled at livinglit at sfcatholic.org. And be the light, shine the light, share the light, and live lit. <laughs>